0: Today's reading is from the second letter of Peter, um, beginning at the, verse of the first, ch- first chapter, first verse. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God, of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is short-sighted and blind, and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall and you will receive a great rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred night. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Claire. Well, we've just a couple more weeks in our sermon series on Bible genre, and sometimes it's good to remind ourselves of why we're looking at a particular theme. Looking at the genres is important because they impact our understanding of scripture. So before we get into the actual text of any Bible passage, it can be really helpful to understand what genre the text is in, to guide our interpretation of it and apply it to our lives. Genre quite simply means style or a particular set of characteristics or a category what's really important for us to remember is that the same Holy Spirit who is God inspired the whole Bible that means that even though there's a diversity of genre there is a single unified storyline it's many stories that tell one story so would you pray with me as we ask God the Holy Spirit to help our understanding and speak to us this morning Lord God, we thank and praise you for your word that is living and active. Holy Spirit, you are so welcome here. Would you please fill each of us again with your presence and open our hearts to your word and your word to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When I first met my husband David in October 1978, he was serving in the RAF and based in Odium in Hampshire. I was still at school in the sixth form, living in West Yorkshire. So we lived more than a five-hour journey from each other. And we didn't have mobile phones, and emails didn't exist. I used to write to David most days. And we still have all those letters stored in a box. It was how we communicated. Letters were and are precious. And today, we're looking at the letters in the Bible called the epistles. An epistle is a writing directed or sent to a person, a group of people. The key thing about the epistles is that they were all written after Jesus had died, risen and ascended into heaven. So they're looking back on all these events as completed, which no other books in the Bible other than the book of Revelation can do. As a result, they play a major role in the formation of Christian theology throughout church history. They're also crucial to our understanding of the Old Testament. We see in the letters how God fulfills his Old Testament promises in Christ. There are 27 books in the New Testament and the epistles make up 21 of them. On the whole, scholars believe that the Apostle Paul wrote 13, John wrote three three of them, Peter wrote two, and James and Jude each wrote one. And the epistles are generally structured, structured in three parts, an opening, a body, and a closing. And at first glance, the epistles seem to be some of the easiest documents to understand and interpret in the whole Bible. The writers felt the need to explain the Christian faith in writing in light of the challenges that churches and individuals were facing in the decades following the ascension of Jesus. They're listed after the book of Acts in the New Testament. Paul's letters and Hebrews are given the title of those who would receive the letter and the rest are known by the name of the assumed author, Our reading today being from the second letter written by Peter, hence, to Peter. Now, an epistle was generally a response to a live issue or issues, not a reasoned theological essay. Indeed, in the Apostle Paul's case, four were written from prison, probably, in Rome. In the case of some of Paul's epistles, they can be cross-referenced to incidents recorded in the book of Acts. And so we're able to grasp some of the background that may inform the letter. Now, while some of the epistles are relatively straightforward in this respect, others are less so. And the reading of an epistle has been likened to listening to one side of a telephone conversation. It's not always clear why the writer is choosing to address an issue or why he addresses it in a certain way. In some of the letters, such as 1, 2, and 3 John, we don't know for sure why or when the letters were written. And in in the case of the letter to the Hebrews, there's no real consensus amongst Bible scholars about who wrote it. 1 Corinthians seems to be written in response to a letter Paul had had received himself from the church in Corinth but we don't have that letter that Paul had received. At the same time, these letters speak with amazing power right into our context, without much need for interpretation. It's as if God caused them to be written, knowing we'd be reading them today, which of course, he did. Now if understanding can sometimes be tricky, The application of text drawn from the epistles also requires careful handling. It's important to understand which aspects of the letter are timeless truths and apply to us today, and which apply to the time and culture and the specific situation in a gathering or with an individual that is being addressed. A good example of this is found in the second letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4.13. Paul writes, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Clearly, those words are for that particular moment in time. Now, the epistles also contain some of the most profound theology and heartwarming truth found anywhere in the Bible. Paul's epistles typically start with a reminder of what God has done for those who trust in Jesus before going on to encourage them to live godly lives. Peter's epistles outline how we can trust God in the face of suffering. Hebrews demonstrates how Jesus is so wonderfully superior to the old covenant. John challenges to love one another while James provides advice for all different seasons of life. And for this reason, the study of the epistles is a staple diet for many churches and individuals, equipping and inspiring God's people as they seek to understand what following Jesus in the power of the Spirit is really about. Our Bible reading today was from what is generally acknowledged to be Peter's second letter, written to the church at large and all believers everywhere. The authorship of this letter has been disputed and because of this, 2 Peter was the last book to be admitted to the canon of the New Testament scriptures. 2 Peter is believed to have been written about AD 67, three years after 1 Peter. Now the second epistle of Peter was addressed to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Peter wanted his readers to realize that all Christians stand as equals before God no matter what their lineage or background might be. Peter reminds us that the basis upon which we obtain the start of a new spiritual life isn't due to any righteousness of our own, but due to the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We all begin the Christian life in the same way by inviting Jesus into our lives to be our Lord and Savior, by receiving the Holy Spirit into our lives. Notice that Peter refers to Jesus as God. It seems that due to false teachers going around trying to sabotage the Christian faith at the time, Peter thought it necessary that we be reminded of the divine nature of Christ. Then Peter makes the point that as you grow in your knowledge of God, a multiplication process takes effect so that those of us who are saved will experience grace and peace. I really hope that you found it to be true in your Christian walk that the more you study God's word and put it into practice, the more you realize that the grace of God is sufficient for every need, and that the peace of God is yours to experience whatever circumstances you're going through. Peter tells us in verses three and four that God provides his Holy Spirit to help us to grow as Christians. God has given us everything we need for developing a godly life. Faith must be more than belief in certain facts. It must result in action, growth in Christian character. So let's all say together again the words Rachel encourages to memorize earlier from verses five to nine in the message translation. Let's say this together. So don't lose a minute in building on what you've been given, complementing your basic faith with good character, spiritual understanding, alert discipline, passionate patience, reverent wonder, warm friendliness, and generous love. If you are to grow spiritually to the fullest extent possible so that you can achieve your spiritual potential, become all that you can be, attain the highest level of christian maturity of which you're capable there are two essentials that a christian can't do without those essentials are god's word and his holy spirit as we grow as christians we all need to learn to know god better develop perseverance do god's will love others develop self-control. And these actions don't come automatically. They require hard work. They're also not optional. All of them should be a continual part of the Christian life. We don't finish one and start on the next, but we work on them all together. God empowers us and he enables us but he also gives us the responsibility to learn and to grow for ourselves. God wants to produce his character in us. Now, our salvation does not depend on good deeds, but it results in good deeds. A person who claims to be saved while remaining unchanged can't really understand faith on what God has done for them. Peter makes the point that the confirmation of our salvation is spiritual growth. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul pleads with the Christians in Galatia. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. If our hearts are being continually pulled and pushed in differing directions through trying to achieve certain goals, compulsive behavior, and self-indulgent habits, we're not free. For those who have chosen to follow Jesus as, as Lord, the way to freedom comes from placing Jesus at the center of the whole of life. And we then need daily discernment to reveal to us what place in our lives we will give to each of the demands and the attractions that surround us. The danger for us is to name Jesus as Lord, but live our lives in the service of other clamoring lords and masters. It's a significant challenge for Christians living in a consumeristic and individualistic society. We can all too easily be seen as those who call ourselves Christians, but live our lives according to the same values as everyone else around us. The only discernible difference may be that we have a few religious habits, such as going to church and saying our prayers. To be holy means to be set apart to be different, to be salt and light in the world around us. If our lives and behavior don't reflect the character and actions of Jesus, we become hypocrites, actors, pretending to be something that we're not. The credibility of the Christian faith depends on the example and actions of those of us who claim to be Christians. Our behavior And our values should flow directly from the values and examples of Jesus. In verses 13 to 15, we're told that Peter believed that his time on earth was limited. So he wrote about what was on his heart, warning believers against false teachers, reminding his readers and listeners, and that includes us today, of changing truth of the gospel. He goes on in verses 16 to 18. Peter describes himself and the other apostles as eyewitnesses of his majesty. Can there be any greater evidence that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was who his apostles said he was, than the fact that they were eyewitnesses? Isn't it true that the strongest evidence in a court of law is the statement of an eyewitness? Better still, wouldn't the evidence of multiple eyewitnesses provide good evidence? Well, in the New Testament, we have eyewitness accounts that were handed down to us independently by those who witnessed Jesus' baptism, his life, his death, his resurrection and his ascension. The New Testament writers not only saw the Lord's miracles with their own eyes, they heard with their own ears as the voice of God said, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. After Jesus had ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit led his people to make Jesus known and inspired people to write the letters that we read in the Bible. We can all trust the same spirit to lead and guide us. Each day we'll all face issues not specifically mentioned in the Bible. However, we can allow these words to help us discern biblical principles in any situations we face to help us navigate through life in a way that blesses those around us and brings glory to God. The epistles are a wonderful treasure for us as we aim to emulate the example of those who established what living in Christ looked like in the early decades after Jesus' earthly life. And they revealed Jesus, and then we can reveal Jesus through our lives in 2020. To close, I want to share with you what I believe is the number one truth the Lord wants you to know from the epistles today. Our vision statement at CSK, Christ the Servant King, is connecting with Jesus, making him known. To reveal Jesus, to make him known, to want to live our lives with him at the center to choose him first above all the other things we could choose in our lives. We all need to truly grasp and understand and believe for ourselves just how much we are loved. John writes in his first letter, 1 John 4 God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son, into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another we all need a more profound revelation of the Father's love having a revelation of the Father's love is our greatest need do you believe that you are loved by the Father do you believe it that you're totally loved Do you believe that there is nothing that you can do to make God love you more or less? Because only God himself can convince you of that truth. But you need to be willing to open yourself up to hear from him and allow him to speak to you. Understanding God's faithfulness, the price he paid for us, the sacrifice he made for us, how much us truly grasping that truth will bring about the changes needed in us to love others as he loves us? Would you pray with me? Lord God, thank you for inspiring those who met you, who were eyewitnesses, alive when you walked the earth to write letters. So the truth of who you are is revealed to us today. Thank you, Lord, for your word that is living and active. Thank you, Lord, that you anoint us with your Holy Spirit, that you reveal to us your truth. Lord, I ask that as we continue to worship you in song, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would remove any blockages and lies that have been spoken over us, that have told us that we're not worthy to be loved by you. Thank you that we are worthy, that we are righteous because you, Jesus, paid the price for every single one of us when you went to the cross. Thank you, Lord, that you are love and that we are loved by you. Holy Spirit, you are so welcome here today. As we become more aware of your love for us, help us to be more generous in revealing your love to others. In your precious name we pray. Amen. The words of the next song we're going to sing are just so.